Okay, good morning, everyone. Very, very warm welcome to today's Trading European Open Live Trade Room. I uh, hope you're all keeping well. Um, let's get in and we'll have a quick look at these these charts um, pretty swiftly. We've got uh, the S&P 500 running into potential strong support. Now, we've got this non-farm payroll number due out today, which has every potential to be, um, let's say, put a bit of a spanner in the spokes of these... Uh, these very, very bullish markets. So we're, we're kind of in rollover territory. So we want to see if that's um, if that's a trade that's worth looking at. We anticipate it probably will be. Um, and nothing has really changed that much since yesterday. So that's uh... so I want to leave these levels up again because you can see that we've we've run right into these levels. More so on the US side, and this is the importance of um, you know effective uh, technical analysis.
want to just put in this little level again because we're right at those important levels as we speak. Okay, let me uh, let me just post these to the chat box. You can see the importance of of prices um, basically rallying from from resistance level one right up to resistance level two. So when markets can form like this, it does present you know a very decent, potentially high quality trade. Now we probably do need these these non-farm payroll numbers to go away. Um, it's not obvious that they necessarily will, but if they do, then there is some really good high probability trading to try and take advantage of uh, at some point today, we would assume. And we've mentioned how the markets are kind of going against what these central banks are actually saying. They, they believe these central banks are not going to stay higher for longer. They believe they're going to be pivoting. And that could be within the next six months. So, um, uh, what, what they need is inflation to come down to 2%. And there's no, there's no guarantees that that's, that's likely in any way, shape or form. Okay, so look, we just got these levels and we wanted to keep them because we discussed these levels yesterday um, just to sort of explain potentially how important these levels are um, and how important the, the support levels in the euro dollar and the pound dollar um, have become. Although yesterday's price action was, let's just say, broadly indecisive. Um, we're still in, the, we're still in the, the dollar yen to the downside with our stop loss above momentum highs so the idea is will we get a strong corrective move in this trade we that's what that's what we're trying to capitalize on not too comfortable trading the commodities at the minute we're running into a lot of resistance here in in u.s oil we've got a two and three day highs in the 50 period moving average and and 
all of these lows just sitting in at these levels so might get a little bit more upside but we're probably limited to a certain degree but we know how volatile oil is so you want to kind of have a setup that you have a high degree of conviction about so we've mentioned for the potential if these markets start turning risk off today we will probably be in the trade and if the dollar begins to strengthen we might find a couple of potential opportunities now what we are looking for is the yen to strengthen against the dollar Okay, let's um, let's get a little bit of a market update, and you you'll hear the, the 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 contradiction really for this for these market moves. Uh, hopefully, in real time. So we get the DAX. We're not quite rolling over from the prices that we would like to. There's not a huge amount of volume in these trades, and we've got important non-farm payroll numbers due out um, this afternoon. So. In fact, those numbers are out an hour earlier, aren't they, at the minute? Um, Okay, good morning, everyone. So we will probably get a little bit of, sorry, I was just bringing up the uh, Forex calendar. Where are we? So it's at the earlier time of 12.30. Normally it's 1.30 because the, the clocks went back across Europe and the UK. Um, there's only a four-hour differential now between uh, east coast of america and uh, and uk time so it's at the earlier time for 12 30 and this is uk time as well so just be mindful of that um depending on your location
So Friday the 3rd of November, non-farm payroll. And just want to just draw your attention to last month's non-farm employment numbers. Um, so we were expecting 171,000 jobs to be added, and this is what we got, 336. So an economy that's that's generating that many jobs is broadly really quite a strong economy. No sign of a, a significant recession just yet. Um, so it's when these numbers really start to soften aggressively is when now we're expecting these numbers to come all the way back down to these lows down here. It seems a big ask, but we let's let's wait and see. These these numbers have been all over the place. But broadly speaking, with employment numbers much, much stronger than was anticipated. And that's what the Fed, that higher job numbers is a barrier to bringing down inflation. They need to see softer job numbers. So it seems like a counterintuitive position, but it actually makes sense. If less people have, have jobs, um, unemployment claims go up there'll be less money circulating if everyone has jobs and they're paid a you know a certain uh, so let's say a legal amount they'll have money in their pocket which they can spend in the real economy and keep these higher prices higher for longer so it's about impacting demand that's the only real control that the fed and all these central banks can have they can't impact supply but they can impact demand by increasing rates, making everything more expensive. Sorry, not making everything more expensive. Um, I suppose the reason for this inflation in the first place is due to central bank monetary policy, which was zero, rates at zero for longer than they needed to be. Um, and they were printing 120 billion into the US economy every month. So that's the only reason why we have this higher inflation story, which is causing a lot of this pain and it does mean because you're late to the because as a central bank you're very very late in stepping in it means you have to go higher and and the big question that we probably should have in our minds is not what the markets are interpreting now but whether the markets will be correct in the coming months and that's where the data comes in so we've been monitoring the data carefully uh across three major sort of sections really across um, uh, from a growth perspective is the economy growing or, or is it flatlining or is it weakening um, then it's from an unemployment perspective is unemployment going up or is it going down uh, and then finally inflation is that going up or is that going down because if it's going down then we're probably more likely to get a pivot sooner rather than later if it's if it's if it's sticky if it remains where it's where it's at for longer than anticipated then it looks as if the fed and these central banks will be keeping these rates considerably higher for longer which means the markets will be wrong so there is quite a few variables in in, in these markets so i appreciate that um we're, we're wanting to just be sure about what what we're looking to do so what we're looking to do is to sell around these areas 
It looks like the 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 DAX is already beginning to roll. Oh, it's beginning to roll. So it's only really a pretty soft pullback into strong support. So we'd expect these markets to at least make another attempt to rally. And if so, and if that, if we have a more precise rollover to the downside, then on the structural failure trade, then that would be a lot more appetizing. You're looking for lows on the way up as this market is pulling back. You're looking for previous lows. That's resistance one. This is a tentative resistance two. Um, there's, there's a resistance three up at these at these levels. You also have the 50 period moving average running into these current prices. We're not too far away now. So it's not a great setup for the DAX, much, much better setup for the S&P and the NASDAQ. We put these levels in yesterday when prices were much lower. If we rally up to these levels, we can get that rollover to the downside. So we're in the area to start, and this was the idea behind these arrows. We, we're likely to get further pullback and then look to trade that rollover to the downside. And look how on Tuesday, we were in the euro dollar to the upside and we had a really, really strong rally before that rally came undone. And then we, we, we saw a big move to the downside. We made new technical new lows. But look, Wednesday's price action failed to close below that level, which means that that this support level no longer is is, is that relevant. We, we'd be looking at a structural failure trade to the downside with a double top. But look, as we closed out the day, we actually rallied for the later part of the trading day and we've still closed, we're still struggling to close below this red line. And even, even on, on Wednesday, which was a really bearish day for, for the euro dollar. So that sort of messy price action doesn't really help us too much. If you look at the price action uh, Tuesday, so let's go for Monday. Monday was very bullish. Tuesday became very bearish. Thursday, uh, Wednesday became even more bearish, which then reversed back to the upside. And Wednesday's looking bullish again. So really sort of difficult to get to grips with, with, with this type of price action. And uh, from 106.66 to 105.23, so that's 140 pip swing, but you went from high to low to high again. So let's say 140 on Tuesday, a rollover of 140, sorry, a move of let's say 120 to the upside on Monday and Tuesday, 140 back to the downside on Wednesday. So that's 260 and another 140 back to the upside. So that's 400 uh, pip round trip. Just this week. So that's really volatile, but it's really choppy. So it's a difficult one to trade. And we were only five pips away from booking profit at these highs. So um, we, we, we were very, very close, put it that way. But I mean, that doesn't really matter, does it? If you're, if you're close or not.
So, let's just have a quick look at the footsie. So this is um, this is a really strong low in here. It's, it's a band, and we bounced off that really quite aggressively. Got this upper trend line. Prices are very close to pulling back into that level. Would we get a rollover back down to these levels? It's a descending triangle. I think as long as there's limited um, progress made today, then that that will do us that will do us fine going into non-farm payroll because we we'd want a reason to pull the trigger. And let's say, for example, what what reason could we want? Well, we'd we'd want this um, non-farm payroll number to come in probably over two hundred thousand. I mean, we could get another 300,000 figure. It's been all over the place. And they keep making these seasonal adjustments, but at kind of strange times. And, you know, last month was what, uh, October. So you wouldn't see a massive seasonal swing in September. Um, you know, a lot of that sort of summer employment, you know, people going back to college and things, and we saw a sizable uptick now there is a an influx of people that do you know start uh, employment in september it's one of the key key months of the year but you wouldn't expect to see analysts to get it so badly wrong for it to come in twice what was expected bearing in mind that seasonal deviations so the problem is with something like covid is that it, it can completely distort certain economic data points and and i think um the unemployment numbers have been profoundly distorted so you get some strange numbers released and you get some strange forecasts and you get some strange market reactions but for us you know anything over two hundred thousand would still probably see these markets rolling over to the downside and that's what we want to try and pull the trigger on so i do hope this makes sense um we're just trading at levels that we would be comfortable getting into these trades again to the downside. You know, we're looking to go against the little bullish move that we've seen over the last couple of days. And we were in a similar situation for four, five, six months of this year where the Fed were raising rates, but the markets were were trading through them, basically saying, well, the Fed are going to pivot. And there was no pivot in sight. So the market was wrong but right at the same time, if that makes sense. It was a strange dynamic. So, and they're buying these markets expecting the, and I'll, I'll, I'll show you the sort of the period of time. It was around sort of March time. So it was this rally in here. Let me see. Yeah, March, these kind of lows. I know this was the low in March. Um, so it's like a breakout of this little period in here from sort of April 
through to May, there was sort of this, you know, the, the Fed were still raising rates. I think we were raising rates 75 basis points if we go back to um, to April. In fact, let's 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 confirm exactly what these markets did back in April. The CDFOMC numbers, federal funds rate. Uh, well, let's see the March, so February. Right. Okay. We're only. Um, yeah, we, we're back to 25 basis points. So November is when we slowed down to 50. And then we slowed down again to 25 basis point rate hikes in March. Okay, so we did start to slow. Um, now that was, we were still raising rates. In fact, let's have a quick look at that again, because Let's go back to March, since February. We've still got two more rate hikes. So in February, we raised rates to, sorry, on March of this year, we raised rates to 5%. And, and we've, we're now at sort of 5.5, 5.25. So, so that's it, in March, we, we saw rates rise from 4.75. So we saw one, two, three, we saw three further rate hikes um, as we correlate to this sort of period of time in here where we saw this bullish market condition where the, the, the Fed pivot was discussed significantly, although we saw three more rate hikes uh, from this point onwards. And instead of the market correcting, which is what we would have expected. We saw a profound rally. We know it was driven by seven or eight stocks. We know it was AI sort of driven. We know we had a banking crisis in March. Um, we know we've had a, a banking guarantee put in place for the US economy. This is when the Fed and, and the government and the FDIC sort of stepped in to put a, a guarantee under deposits on deposits in the US up to 250,000. There's still a lot of banking consolidation, but you know they addressed that little short-term um, crisis really. And this is what the markets are doing. They're kind of saying, well, if anything goes wrong, the Fed are going to step in. They'll start lowering rates and move back to zero. It's, 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 we're back on to the upside. We're really interested to see if that narrative plays out. Because it, well, as soon as these central banks do sort of give a nod to um, a rate pivot, you'll see these markets rally exponentially. We've already seen a rally when, when these central banks have said, now we're going to pause here for a while. We're going to be higher for longer. Inflation is sticky. The markets don't agree. They know that these central banks don't have much credibility because they were six, eight, nine months late sort of doing anything about inflation. And uh, now we find ourselves in, you know, it's all right for these very, very wealthy central bankers to say, oh, well, we didn't, we don't really consider sort of mortgage interest rates, you know, to any massive extent. 
uh, that's great for them, but the, the the pain that that causes families is 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 profound. But of course, that's not at the forefront of their minds. You know, if you see your 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 mortgage go from a thousand to fifteen hundred, that that's a bit of a dent in your household finances. You know, with these higher rates. And that's what it's meaning for many people, but but with mortgages, you know, potentially much much higher than that. Okay, so um, so you can see you can see the potential for the trade. Hopefully, it's it's a sell trade. We want these markets to move in line with our expectations and our expectations can change, of course. And if it does, you know, we can change our opinion. But right now we're looking for these markets to pull back into resistance. And that's exactly what we're seeing. We've seen these markets do exactly what we what we were wanting them to do. And um, now we're going to wait for that rollover to start kicking in. And we want to see if the dollar starts to strengthen. If so, we have the conditions in which to pull the trigger. And hopefully we can make... Uh, a bit of money still this week um it's been quite a choppy trading week and we decided to stay out of this short-term buy trade so we can trigger the the the, the primary trend trade that the the actual trend is to the downside this is just a pullback off the lows as things currently stand so any catalyst for some downside price action would just cause quite a strong move. And it could be this non-farm payroll uh, very, very shortly. So let, let's put on some analysis and then we'll go and grab a cup of coffee and then um, yeah, see where we're at. All right, we'll take it easy. All right, back shortly. I'll just put on some analysis. Bear with me. I don't think we need to rush getting into the S&P and, and, the, and the NASDAQ.
we're not likely to get, to get any significant moves between now and non-farm payroll, but that non-farm payroll could be the catalyst, really. Right. I don't think we're in any rush to get into these trades. 
it was always going to be about timing. Speaking to Bloomberg's Jennifer Zabashaja, and you can watch our brand new Bloomberg Africa Amplified show hosted by Jennifer Zabashaja on the last Friday of every month. So for the, for the dollar yen, this is really where we have a decision to make down at these levels. So plenty more downside. But the dollar yen is kind of a standalone trade. Of, of retail investors, and, and we wonder, we're wondering if 
they'll actually come back if this has scared them off. And on the other hand, if you're, you know, a, a, you know, an exchange person running an exchange in crypto, it's been a tough year. Regulators have been cracking down everywhere around the world. And, you know, there's the other big exchange, Binance, has been sued by the, S the SEC, the CFTC. We've reported that they're under investigation of the DOJ. So it feels like it's the end of an era, but the era is still continuing. Yeah, it's often a refrain. It's a common refrain, isn't it? One exchange collapses and the crypto world turns around and say, well, they're just bad actors. It's not about the broader sector. What, on the bull case, is happening in terms of the ETF front and how much optimism should crypto investors maybe take from what's happening in terms of the regulation, regulations and the approvals of some of these ETFs? So people behind us think that they will be approved. Um, you know, the SEC has been losing some cases in court. So, you know, I mean, if they are cracking down, and there, there is the expectation that if these come, the price will spike. We had a, like a false, uh, you know, approval and the price went up 10% and it's going to stay, stay up. So there's there's an idea that now Bitcoin and crypto might be finally getting really institutionalized. But again, will that mean once they get approved, will we see a 10% spike and then more people coming in? And will it just be like, uh, we'll just wait? Sit it out for a bit longer for a bit of senior crypto editor, and uh, thank you for the context. It's a it's a very resilient environment. You know, there's a lot of people that have lost money in cryptocurrencies, and they're still very bullish. They're still wanting to jump in, and, and uh, perhaps not in the volumes that we've seen before. But there's something about crypto investors that are they've just got incredible belief. Update was brought to you by HKEX, building the marketplace of the future. For the fourth consecutive year, Interactive Brokers is one of the fastest growing crime brokers, and is now number five in Freedom's ranking of top crime brokers. Interactive Brokers serves both organizations and individual investors. To get better results, get a better platform. The best informed investors choose interactive brokers. Go back to Omaha, and uh, he said, Alan, do you always want to be a gentleman? 
um, we want to be a great baseball player. And then uh, the two rules of best are one, never lose money. And number two, don't forget everyone in the world. Stay with us, though, with a really important conversation with Germany's Vice-Chancellor. This is Greenberg. 
This is the place of EY a unifying platform connecting EY's diverse people is the chance of humankind to really understand itself. How much of that is true? How confident? Did you actually overachieve? Did you, you know, back then realize that we would be using AI in many different jobs? Was it slower or faster than you thought at the time? I think if I had a 35 or 40 year uh, prediction task, I would have been more or less on track as to where we are today, but I would have predicted steady linear increase over time. But instead, the field had very minimal improvements until the last five or 10 years. Then it really took off. I think we ended up in the right place, but I was very wrong about the trajectory. To this day, we still know very little about how the brain works, but these machines are getting ever more powerful. And I feel in some sense, uh, we did end up learning how, what human intelligence is, is by learning what it is not. If we exclude all the things machines can do better than us as uh, what makes us unique in our human intelligence, then- Okay guys, um, so look, we don't really have any decisions to make right now but we are just waiting and just stalking for those right opportunities to come our way it would just be a little bit preemptive preemptive let's say at this point getting in but we keep the room open uh, I think it's not a bad time to go and grab a cup of coffee um, grab a cup of coffee we'll, we'll reconvene we'll see there's nothing really, I don't want to take up too much of your time, guys. So if you've got to shoot off, it's not a bad time to do so. Um, and if you can keep, uh, stay alert for this afternoon, it might be a much more productive period. The indices are just really not doing anything. They're not reacting at all. All right, let's go grab a cup of coffee. I'll keep the analysis on. Post it into the chat box. Um, and from our studios in London, I'm Danny Berger. Welcome to Bloomberg Brief. Let's set your agenda. We'll have a little, we'll have a look, look shortly. We'll grab a cup of coffee now, guys, and back very shortly. An unusually swift verdict. It took the jury less than five hours to find Sam Bankman free guilty of all seven counts of fraud and conspiracy. And Apple warns of a sluggish holiday quarter ahead. Trump CEO Tim Cook struggles to assure Wall Street that iPhone demand remains strong in China. It's been a heck of a week for the bond markets from Lagarde to Bailey to Powell. They're all trying to push this narrative that they're at the top of the world pause. This is the space of a week uh, for 10-year government bonds in the United States of America. We've dropped from a high of 30 base, 493 down to 462. Flatteners are in. Two tens, two thirties have had the biggest flattener 
uh, in a number of months. So, of course, the question is, fill me once, shame on me, fill me twice, shame on you, or is it the other way around? The bottom line is, do you believe this rally? That's what you need to ask yourself here. Franklin Templeton, Citadel Securities, and Katie all say to us, do not get overly enthusiastic. Curb your enthusiasm. Was this the tail that wagged the global bomb dog yesterday? This is the UK government guilt market. The bottom line for the guilt market is they pushing back, pushing back at you expect rate cuts. No, that's not where we are. Now the bottom line is this: the betting by the bond market is that central banks have actually broken something. They've already gone into a quasi-policy error and they're gonna have to cut and they're gonna have to cut more aggressively next year. That is part of the flatness, that's part of the narrative, this drop in yields. Uh, you've got the dollar index dropping uh, again, the biggest weekly loss in three months. It's like indigestion and diet. That's what Kit Duke said. It is indigestion in the bond market, indigestion in the dollar market. Let's see, Danny Berger, good morning, it's Friday, it's Jobs Day. Forgot to mention that. Oh yeah, that, that old chestnut. Um, look, it's, it's an interesting setup for this equity market into Jobs Day. A massive rally of more than one and a half percent across basically every single benchmark index. It ebbs a bit today. It was the best day since April yesterday. It was also heading for the best week at this point since November of last year for this equity market. So maybe not surprising. We're selling down a tenth of one percent. Nasdaq though underperformed down four tenths of one percent. How much of this is Apple coming to crash the rally party? Pre-market Apple down more than three percent last night. Look, that should be on the bottom of your screen so you can check it out for yourself. There you go. Apple down nearly uh, more than 30 and a third percent. And then with European equities maybe continuing the rally thanks to where Wall Street closed yesterday, up a third of a percent in Europe. We also had soft jet earnings. Profit fell. There was also some wrong way bets on interest rates. Even so, soft jet shares so far in today's trade are higher by nearly 1%. So, man, this is the situation we have. You have the NASDAQ, S&P, Russell 2000, and TLT all rally yesterday, more than 1.5%. That's the first time all of those assets have done that since January of this year. And let me show you what that's done. To Econ, financial conditions, at least the U.S. index uh, compiled by Bloomberg, is now almost back at zero. And for all that talk that the bond market's doing the work for the Fed, we're almost in easy conditions again. Listen, you're just so happy that you find the best fact of the day. That is the, that is the bottom line. Right. Yeah, you had an extra <laughs> hour of sleep, so you decided to go find a fact and a fact and a trophy. But you're right. Uh, the, the whole heavy lifting that the bond market did uh, is perhaps uh, for not for naught, but of course it is jobs that today could define. We're expecting 157, a lighter number than 326, which we've had uh, in the last month. Is this the beginning of the edifice uh, of, of the slowdown? Just look at the Maris numbers this morning in terms of job cuts. So the narrative is shifting. But you see, this is what happens when you get an extra hour of sleep, many extra hours. Of sleep. <laughs> I spent it in Excel, basically. Built in Excel. You built in Excel on Friday. Yeah, no, I, because. Because I have more sleep than you, I just opened up Excel and built a model this morning. That's all. No big deal. That's what she does in her spare time. Okay, uh, let's talk about Sam Bankman Free because he's been convicted of a massive fraud that led to the collapse of the entire empire of FTX. The US attorney uh, for the Southern District of New York, Damian Williams, spoke after the verdict. The cryptocurrency industry might be here. The players like Sam Bankman Free might be here. This kind of fraud, this kind of corruption, is as old as time, and we have no patience for it. 
She's had a lot of patients, Shanali Basic. She's chased this trial for weeks. Shanali, good to see you. Thanks for getting up early. You perpetrated one of the biggest financial frauds in American history. This was the attorney, uh, his, his words. Um, your, your, your take, I mean, are you surprised? I mean, some of the sentence, well, we haven't got the sentencing yet, but some of this is quite staggering. Yeah, it is quite staggering. I think what's more surprising is how quickly the jury had come out with the verdict. It was within a span of less than five hours. And remember, the timeline could have pushed into next week. They stayed late. They were doing cars last night from Southern District to uh, make it home. They, they stayed beyond yesterday what they were meant to initially. And so the way that this was done after uh, really just a matter of weeks, it felt long if we were sitting inside of it. But the prosecution was very organized. They had three cooperating witnesses who had pled guilty, who were very close members of the inner circle. It's not that surprising that at the end of the day he testified. We know he likes to speak for himself. Um, there's still a long road ahead for Sam Jacob Free, as well as the others here. The sentencing is not slated until March. Mm -hmm. So what happens next then? What does that long road look like for Sam Hickman-Fried? Yeah, you have to remember that he's still facing other charges. So as part of this trial, he um, had been found guilty by a jury for seven charges, but he also faces charges related to campaign finance and bribery. And so he will potentially be retried for those charges as well on top of this. And as far as the sentencing goes, very unclear how long he might be facing prison time. Each of the charges he was already facing um, guilty verdicts for could face up to 20 years in prison each. So is he going to be spending life or some sort of reduced sentence? And same goes for his former colleagues who had also pled guilty for reduced sentences. Will they spend any time in jail still up there? So if you look at Bitcoin overnight, of course, it's either, you know, will there will be an ETF regulation come through? You know, we're dealing with the machinations of that. Where do you, or what feeling do you get from the marketplace that this is for one of better words, a dancing moment for crypto, that this is a clearing up perhaps of things that will not be tolerated again, or perhaps Wall Street will be duped again in the way that it was, and they just went, hey, Sam, how much do you want from me? Let's start with the Wall Street side of that, because overnight you had Sequoia partner Alfred Lin, who had tweeted about the verdict here. And really saw Sequoia, which was really one of the key players in the investment community here, who had written a 14,000-word, really, um, love song, let's call it, to Sam Bankman Free. Oh, to Sam. Oh, to Sam. And now they're coming out and saying, you know, we, like many others, were deceived. So you have them immediately distancing themselves. Uh, you have another large investor, Anthony Stern, which he had spoken to us this yeah. week. FTX had invested in his Skybridge. We asked about whether his relationships, particularly those in the Middle East, were tarnished or took a hit in the wake of what had happened at FTX because Anthony Scaramucci was the man who took Sam Bankman-Fried to meet the Chemical Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia and try to seek rescue financing or new equity financing. And he did say that, yes, initially this was a reputational hit, but a lot of investors are now dealing with the fallout. Uh, crypto industry is not distancing themselves from FTX, but a lot of consumer advocates coming to the surface and really saying that Sam Bankman-Fried was not a one-off in bad behavior in the industry. Yeah, not even to mention the follow-up for Tom Brady and Larry David. Chanali, thank you so much for helping us cover this Bloomberg Chanali basket there on the SBF. Let's turn to our other top story in the morning. Apple has warned that investors won't see the rebound in growth that they were hoping for. The tech giant faces a slowdown in China and a possible sluggish holiday quarter. Joining us now is Matt Bottom of Bloomberg Intelligence. 
Matt, when it comes to the China issue, was there any clear indication of how much the political element played into iPhone and future iPhone sales? That is, China banning iPhones for state companies and, and for government positions. Um, there wasn't really anything. It was the kind of uh, the flip side of that. They had a record quarter uh, on iPhone sales in China, uh, and uh, Tim Cook was uh, optimistic about the prospects of the market. So I think. Yeah, that, that was quite interesting. And so, right, there was other products that were weak for them in China, and of course, reporting a $2 billion miss on revenue, expectation of 10% growth in China, 2%. So, it really wasn't kind of bigness on the other products. Um, I think probably this holiday quarter is going to be a bigger challenge for them in China because you'll get full quarter, especially Huawei make device, which has suddenly kind of launched on some market. Surprise, everybody, it's been really popular in China. So, that may kind of create some more headwinds. I think that's going to, you know, temper investment. Confidence um, in the China story, I think, for a few quarters to come. And yet, ironically, you, you know, the, the iPhone sales, I mean, I know it was Mac and iPad that caused a bit of pain, but iPhone quarterly revenue in China uh, was a record. This is the fourth straight order of decline. Okay, so this is the longest run of decline since 2001. You'll hear people holler from the from the gods that this is peak Apple and it's over. And, but, you know, what does Cook need to do? Is it time to AI, generative AI? They're investing quite a bit. How do you market look at that? Yeah, I mean, they, again, they, they um, were muted on what the, they say about that, but I think that is going to be an important part of future product re uh, refreshes. And I think that that's, for me, one of the important things for this year. If you look at the product lines that were either weak last quarter or expensively weak in the holding quarter, it's product lines where that hasn't been a refresh for quite some time. I had yeah. the refresh has been fairly low key. Um, so I think um, product refresh cycle is really important, and AI is going to come into that in a really big way. Well, I know Manus isn't buying me a new iPhone for Christmas, so uh, I am in the market for a new iPhone. I am in the market for a new iPhone. I am. I've got three old ones, so I'm looking for the trade-in value, so I am. But my protocol still thinks they're related in Dubai. If the protocol doesn't know what's actually physically moving. You, know, you know what I'm hearing from you, Manus? You have become the hedonistic American. That's what I'm hearing from you. <laughs> there you go. That's a toxic marriage. Headless Irish man living in the Middle East who's come to live in America. There you go. I'll leave you with that there. I love it. Hey, Matt. Thanks for joining us and for dealing with us. Matt Thompson of Bloomberg Intelligence there. All right, guys. Let's get to some of the top stories that are trending on the terminal this morning. Jeff Bezos, he's moving to Miami. The Amazon founder and world's third richest man says he's leaving his home of 29 years in Seattle. The move takes him closer to his parents and to his space exploration company's operations in the region. Miami has emerged as a popular destination for other tech teams, including Ken Griffin. The Maris Bellboy Global Trade is dying more than 9%. percent just saying it's cutting at least 10,000 jobs to shoot profitability. The rest of our production is equivalent to 9% of the headcount are prompted by the lower freight rates, increased competition in marine transport. But right, 6,500 of those positions have already been eliminated. Israel says a ceasefire is not on the table with Hamas as Anthony Blinken arrived in Tel Aviv for talks. He is meeting with Benjamin Netanyahu, the war cabinet, and President Isaac Herzog. Indications of further spillover could come in a speech by the leader of Lebanon-based Hezbollah later today. Coming up, we have a conversation with Germany's Vice Chancellor and editors on the line, Robert Habeck, joins her talking about the current geopolitical climate and the Israel Hamas war. Stay tuned for that one to one, Anna Edwards and Robert Habeck, right here on the
Here from leading economists, policymakers, and industry experts via live and on-demand webinars only from Bloomberg. Start exploring to see what's moving the markets. Visit Bloomberg.com webinars. The tag on the product may be made in the USA, but the sign on the CEO's door often says, made in India. Alphabet's Sundar Pichai, Microsoft's Satya Nadella, IBM's Arvind Krishna, Micron Technologies' Sanjay Mehotra, and that's just the start. Add to the chief executives of Adobe, Deloitte, Gap, VMware. And that doesn't count Indians running companies all over the world. Why have so many Indians risen to the top? The Note Coastal points to India's incredibly competitive education system. If you can survive the pressure it takes to get into one of the Indian Institutes of Technology, it gives you confidence to handle American universities and later the business world. Meanwhile, the belief in India's ability to produce so many tech wizards is reinforced every year. Indians make up about three-fourths of the immigrants receiving coveted H-1B visas for the U.S. And it's a safe bet that some of them will eventually find their way to the C-suite. From the beating heart of global finance, economics, and politics, and wherever new takers are moving markets, Bloomberg brings you conversations that allow for deep discussions and important insights. How has that shaped your strategy for that? Is this new normal? Is this like a catalyst? Do you think we're the new face for doing the policy overall? That's a great question. I'm Francis Michael, and this is The Pulse, every weekday only on Bloomberg. Last month's jobs report caught everyone off guard. Major upside surprise of a headline number. Considerably stronger than people thought. Almost twice as much as what the expectation was. Today, Tom, Jonathan, Lisa, and Mike will bring you crucial data and expert analysis at terminal speed. Rates are going to have to stay higher for longer, potentially even go higher. And there's less in damage here. Those cracks are starting to form. The October jobs report today on Bloomberg Television and Radio. This is Bloomberg Brief, Dan Berger in London, Manish Cranny in New York. Now, a year on from Europe's energy crisis, German Vice Chancellor Robert Habeck is in London to meet with the UK's energy secretary. Bloomberg's Anna Edwards is there here with him now. Anna. Danny, good morning, and Manus, thank you very much for having us. Let's get straight into the conversation with Germany's Vice Chancellor, Minister for Economic Affairs and Climate Action, Robert Harbeck. Vice Chancellor, thank you very much for coming to speak to us today. Let's start our conversation on some of the geopolitical themes that the world is watching very closely. You put out a video yesterday talking about your concerns around a rise in anti-Semitism in Germany, expressing concern about that. How widespread is that fear, do you think? Why did you feel you wanted to make those points yesterday? Yeah, Mike, it's very, though I was uh, targeted, I can say, to the German population and society and people, but maybe the concern is broader than only Germany, but as I'm used to Germany, so I speak to the German people, um, I for me, it seems like compared to other horrible events, the solidarity with Israel is very, very weak, or it seems to be weak, or not only on a rhetorical basis. Therefore, I just uh, tried to 
divide the things and say, okay, the suffering in Gaza is terrible, but of course Israel has all the right to protect itself. And in Germany, we have a special history. We have to, to support Israel. That was the sense of the right. You're right that lots of Western governments are also dealing with these same questions. How do you allow people to show support if they wish to for the Palestinian people, but at the same time, make it clear that, uh, that you don't want people to be supporting Hamas, and that is not tolerable in Europe. How do you find the line? Because lots of Western governments are dealing with the same issue. Well, first of all, it's a line that the pro-Palestine demonstrations have to draw themselves. I'm also a foreign sovereign state for Palestine and uh, the Palestinian people, and I think that um, the suffering is horrible, and they have also the right for solidarity and humanitarian aid and so on and so on. But saying that and demonstrating that does not mean to do anything, any relativism on the terrible slaughtering in Hamas herself. So they they have to draw a line themselves and say, we want to help the Palestinian people, but we don't accept Hamas. Hamas is not fighting for the Palestinian people, they are fighting to destroy Israel. And that has to be clear all the time. And why did you feel the need to speak out on this? Uh, should it be uh, Olaf Schultz who's leading this conversation, the German Chancellor? Why, why is it left to you as Vice-Chancellor with all your other ministerial responsibilities to make these points? Well, it's all the time. Actually, Olaf Schultz, uh, he holds the speeches in the German Parliament and on international conferences. Do you think he's getting the message wrong at all? No, yes. he, he's uh, doing a great job as a lot of leaders of the world are now doing a great job trying to ease the situation when Secretary Blinken is again in Israel. I know that the US government, President Biden and Secretary Blinken, they, they are really working hard with the Israeli government as we do to, to, to give them support in this difficult situation for Israel but also making clear that also Israel has to stick to the rules of international law. Thinking about US foreign policy, you mentioned Anthony Blinken uh, traveling uh, just there. There might be concern in parts of Europe about funding for Ukraine in the context of Israel and Hamas. Uh, are you concerned in Germany that funding for Ukraine will be caught up in US domestic politics? No, I'm sure that US will stick to the promises they have made as Europe and Germany has done and we have to stick to the promises otherwise. That was all only words, and uh, of course, I'm concerned as the war in Ukraine is ongoing, and uh, as we are talking now, people are dying there, and the next winter is coming, so the situation is all but easy. Um, but uh, we, we, we gave them all support and promised our support, and we have to stick to that and ensure that the US government, the US people, and the German and European people will do that. But war in Ukraine clearly a humanitarian uh, disaster, but also had an impact on German business, on the cost of energy, and led to a lot of transformation in the German energy markets. Uh, you've had to change policy on coal as a result, but recently your former minister, uh, Christian, sorry, finance minister Christian Linder said this week that Germany should end dreams of phasing out coal-fired power in 2030. Do you share that view? Well, first of all, we have to change the politics on gas, natural gas, because half of our gas supply was coming from Russia, and that we don't yes. want to have anymore, and we don't get anymore, because Putin uh, first stopped uh, the gas supply, and then now the pipelines are destroyed, as I guess also everyone knows. Therefore, we needed a little bit more coal. We, we let the coal power plants a little bit more like, longer in the system, but now the 
security issue is more or less solved. We were able to build up LNG terminals with incredible speed. We have now three operational and three more coming over the winter. And then we would have enough gas to, to go back to plan, plan A. And therefore, so you can phase out coal by 2030. Yes, yes. That is the plan. Yes. And so no more winters reliance on, on coal. Or how many more winters reliance on coal? Or using it's a phase out, so every one and a half years, some coal power plants will get out out of order and the um, what the, the most important decision was made on the UP level we increase the CO2 taxation we have on CO2 that means that the market will solve the problem it won't I, I think after 2030 you won't uh, you won't earn money with coal power plants. Well, on another theme in energy, Zenith's energy, I know you're in conversations with them, there might be limitations to what you can say about loan guarantees, but can you see any situation in which the German government puts cash into Zenith's energy or takes a stake in Zenith's energy? Is that part of the conversation? It's not about cash. Zenith's energy. Are those things it's important to understand that this is not a political problem, others than Lubitan that was reliable on Russian gas and some hit a wall and then the gas was gone. Uh, Lufthansa, for example, and the COVID-19 uh, crisis happened, so it was not, had nothing to do with the companies in itself. Other here, they have a self-made problem that they bought a Spanish wind turbine company, Gamesa, and the turbines are not working properly. So this is just is a problem in itself. On the other hand, Siemens Energy has a huge amount of orders, 100 and more billion of orders are in their portfolio, so they don't need cash, they need a guarantee that they can that they can do the work. And then I think they, we are, it's different and we are in talks with, uh, with everyone to He's also worked to, to, to solve this issue. Okay, let me turn to German politics. You've been quite outspoken. We've talked about what you've been saying on Israel Hamas recently, but on the economic side, you've been outspoken criticizing some of the coalition policies, a coalition that you are a part of. I wonder why uh, you, you are, what, what are you trying to achieve by criticizing some of the policies around subsidies, a lack of investment in renewables, those kinds of things? Why I wasn't criticizing our coalition as I am part of our, our coalition, I was just raising the question that. Or if all the rules we have adopted in the past 30 years are fitting to the world order, I can say as we find it now. So China is a friendly open market, cheap gas from Russia, no wars anywhere. We can save money by not investing in our military capacities. This was basically the, the mindset of the past three decades. Mm -hmm. And this is, I mean, the gas from Russia has gone. China is a, is a competitioner, to say the least. And we see that wars are happening again. So, and then to ask if our budget rules, our European rules, our federal system is adjusted right, I think it's necessary. It just sounded to some as if you were providing more of an opposition than being part of the coalition. Is this actually something to do with campaigning for 2025? Are we already there yet? Is that what we're seeing in, no, in German politics? Not at all, and it has something to do with thinking. And I think. Thinking should be allowed in politics. And Christian Lindner has he given an, his reaction to your to your comments? I haven't seen any reaction. No, has he has he given any reaction? Is he? Well, we stick to the rules we have given our coalition in uh, when we started it, and this is also what I intend to do. We stick to the rules, or we change them together. But this is not going to happen, I guess, not in the budget, but. Still, this kind of cannot mean that it's forbidden to think about the situation as we face it. I mean, it would be the same in the US. You are raising the budget all the time, or try to raise it in the US. You are 
you have internal problems and debates, and um, but there seems to be a demand for more money. And uh, this is everywhere the case. If the goods from China are very, very cheap and we won't buy them in the critical fields of uh, technique and so on, then we have to reason with ourselves, then they are more expensive. Then we have to ask the question who's going to pay for that. So this is obvious and this is an objective question. This was the only one I was reading. Vice Chancellor, thank you very much. Jenny's Vice Chancellor, Robert Marbeck, and Minister for Economic Affairs and Climate Action. Uh, Max, Danny, back to you. Anna, great conversation. Uh, that's Anna Edwards of the German uh, Vice Chancellor, Robert Harbeck. Uh, breaking news on Bloomberg, Saudi splashing the cash again. We understand, ready to make a $5 billion investment this time in the Indian Cricket League. Danny and I will talk cricket sport in just a moment. Of course, we'll talk strategy as well. We won't leave you bereft at 5.30 in New York. We've got Green Cheddar and investment strategy. What do you want to take your risks? on the morning after Apple. This is Bloomberg News Now. News when you want it at the touch of a button. Another volatile day on Wall Street. We're seeing big moves. All eyes on Capitol Hill as Democrats and Republicans. Today, job numbers casting down on the Fed's next move. Inflation remains front and center. And that's news when you want it with Bloomberg News Now. Get it 24-7 on the Bloomberg Business app, Bloomberg.com, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Bloomberg News Now. Context changes everything. If somebody is watching and says, I want to be Harry Mang when I grow up, what should somebody do to get into the talent agency business or the business you're in? Well, it's hopefully what I've taught my kids. you got to be intellectually curious. you got to be, um, you got to show up. And you know the kind of things. I got on a lot of things. You just, yeah, yeah, even though that voice in your head saying, oh, God, I'm tired, I don't want to do this. you got to show up. You gotta be um, childly relentless. You have to build um, emotional endurance because. All right, guys, we've been looking at these markets in the background. Um, good morning, everyone. Um, and then I think one of the things that I do every week is I try uh, to create serendipity. There's only a little bit of negativity in these markets. It's probably a bit premature. So hopefully you're clear about what the trade we're looking to, to try and execute. So we're just waiting to pull the trigger. Let's um, let's remove. So we've got our resistance levels and support levels in. It's a strong little zone in here for a rollover to the downside. This is very, very tight. So, just take this as an example. Right, we've been in a 13 point range 
since since yesterday evening, early evening. In fact, since the uh, no, that was on Wednesday. Sorry, the FOMC. So uh, let's say fifteen hours. We've done practically nothing. You see, this is an opportunity for us to start selling. Absolutely. So that's what we've been speaking about. It's got indigestion. I like what Kip Jukes has to say, Danny. The dollar is potentially showing signs of indigestion and doubt. And that, Ms. Berger, is your big risk for the supply coming down the pipe in the United States of America and those bond yields. Danny. Well, I mean, to some degree, you've got, you've got to hope the supply shakes things up because, I mean, that, that curve flattener yesterday is so painful for everyone out there who literally just came out and said it's time to get into steepeners. It is very 2023 for a consensus to come out and then swiftly be punished. And to be fair to you, what's your map? It's the biggest curve flattener since March. You did that on an Excel spreadsheet this morning. So if you think my divinity comes from free, it comes from her. Danny, good morning. <sighs> I clearly have too much time. Pretty far too much. Far, far too much time. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. All right. I mean, I, you know, I think I spent it okay. But okay, let's get to the stock 
teachers this morning, because as I pointed out, there are parents of those games after a strong day yesterday, uh, best day since April. Our next guest, he's been on the road, he's been talking to clients in 10 different countries, it is Black Rocks, Green Chedid, and he writes that after those conversations, client consensus is positioned for recession this year through going underweight equities and overweight duration. Green joins us now. He's the head of investment strategy. That's interesting. Great to see you. Um, uh, maybe it's to what I was just saying to Manus. I mean, yesterday was painful for someone whose position with that underweight equities and overweight duration. So is that kind of client consensus? I'm minding now. Yeah, I mean, I agree with your comments, Samuel. This year, trend has not been your friend. You know, you, you can't trust the trend because it does switch around, which means that the analysis of flows and positioning, which I spend a lot of time doing, is crucial. In this environment to find out where the crowded trades are, and that's why I look at ETF flows in that uh, through that lens. But um, I, I think that uh, yeah, we have picked up a couple of consensus areas. Whether it's going long duration, perhaps a little bit too soon. Although over the past couple of days, obviously that rally we've seen and the models would have been um, in that you know favorable for for those in that position. But but I think it's gone a little bit too far. And you know, if we take a step back and we think about what's happened this week. Across all the central banks, we heard one message loud and clear, which is high rates are here to stay. So we need to take that into consideration as we look at some of this market pricing, perhaps getting a little bit ahead of itself. We think we think that as well that these markets are getting a little bit ahead of themselves. Um, 
How do you see that narrative? Do you think it's just too soon to, to, to buy that narrative that they're going to be aggressive and higher for longer and on the top of the table margin for a lot longer? Yeah, so I do think there's some regional nuance to that uh, question. Uh, you spoke about uh, the UK and, you know, we turned over, uh, overweight on, on UK bills from a tactical view perspective. So we were ready to extend that duration uh, view um, over the past couple of months for precisely this reason, which is that markets have priced in a pretty uh, high rate. So just the pullback of the high, it's, it's in a way that they haven't done difficult decision so to get into it. We've been seeing in, in builds this big move towards you know pricing no rate cuts in, on the horizon to pricing two cuts by, by end of 2024. That's something that, that has been uh, favorable in terms of the view that we have, that's in line with the view that we have. The question is, has it gone? too far, uh, and that's something we're debating live, but but I, I think that regional nuance is important to bear in mind, especially because in the UK the damage is, is greater. In the US we have had some cushion from savings that have kept consumers quite... I think quite fair, the structure, the interest rate structure exposure, both of domestic, let's say, retail and that, retail people are myself and yourself buying a home here is structurally different to it is in the UK. Um, we were both, I mean, obviously, we've got SoftGen numbers this morning. It's interesting. It's had a very tough time since the new CEO took over. But can we ask you about your view on US regional banks as a source of angst and great global angst in the springtime? But Bill Gross wrote this overnight. I mean, he rocked the bond market last week. Now he's rocking, now he's rocking regional banks. Regional bank falling night has hit the bottom. I'm buying trust, citizens, key bank, first horizon. Treasury yield picture is still uncertain. The best strategy is to invest in the 210 curve, continuing to disinvert, and to buy twos, sell tens in duration neutral. I mean, we could go on, but I want to focus on really on his bank call. Um, how do you look at banking at the moment? MBW's had a very tough time, subjects have their numbers high, and things are different here in the US. Just the nuances for us. Yeah, I think nuance is the way forward and selectivity is the way forward in stocks in an environment where the macro, where you know high rates are here for longer, is not your friend. And that selectivity goes at sector level, something we've seen loud and clear in the ETF flows across sectors with a clear preference for European banks. That has been a key preference for investors expressing it through ETF flows in that space. And also uh, sectors like, like healthcare and, and energy. In the U.S., that preference for U.S. banks has not been as loud. Mm -hmm. I think there's a higher conviction that European banks' revenues are more cushioned. And you're also seeing it in the earnings season. European banks have been a standout performer in the earnings season that we're uh, watching right now, uh, more than the U.S. Okay, Kareem, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Really appreciate your time. That's Kareem Chedid of BlackRock. All right, guys, I have a number I want to talk about. Yeah. It is $5 billion. That is the amount. Now, Savvy has said to I in the Indian Cricket League that would value it at $30 billion. So there you go, man. It's another day, another headline crossing of a potential Savvy sport investment. Yeah, I mean, this builds on the narrative, doesn't it, Danny? Which is, you know, you can't be bringing in star footballers like Ronaldo, etc. The view is, of course, you can bring in footballers uh, into Saudi Arabia. Will people watch more matches? Here we are with cricket. We've got a bid out there for the PGA. Of course, the PGA. Uh, have begun the formal process of reviewing other investors into their business. But this is India. I mean, this thing, this is a $30 billion Indian cricket league. That's just a monster. 
And in terms of the audience, it's the physical audience. Yeah, it, it's monster, but it, it, it is interesting because Bloomberg spoke with Ben Stokes, he's the captain of the England cricket team, as, as I know very well as, as a recent newly minted Brit myself. Um, before this deal, he had even said you can't compete with money, especially the money that Saudi Arabia is throwing around to certain people. So there almost seems to be this idea in the cricket community, not just that they'll invest in international cricket, but maybe they'll try to bring it back home to Saudi too. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how the political response in that it comes, comes through. Uh, from the Red Modi, uh, which MBS is very focused on, on this entire uh, sports narrative destination side of the area. Well, we keep an eye on that sort of Where's Greg Tanner when you need him for the sports narrative? Yeah, that was on a beach somewhere. That was on a beach somewhere, uh, probably on the park, having a, a glorious Friday afternoon and a couple of cabernets. I'm going to talk Apple next. Uh, there's a thought for you on Friday morning at 5 41 a.m. A cabernet somewhere in the sun. Apple warns the holiday season may not be just so happy as it struggles to get the sales out the door. How enduring will this little one be right here on Bloomberg? This data update is brought to you by HKEX. Connecting China and the world. This data update was brought to you by HKEX, building the marketplace of the future. I think the, the boundaries between humans and machines are in some ways blurring. We need to engineer additional external organs. I think that it will not take as much time as we imagined to make uh, robots indistinguishable from human life. Gently Motor, connecting art and technology. There is something really magical about the Illinois National Forest. This is our piece of heaven. Rwanda is so close that everybody should really visit. Welcome to Rwanda. Most parts here are coming and grace. We'll look at towards them moving, but it also means some of the items are overcrowded. Is there something that you can do? This is, uh, thank you for asking this question because well, I want to make sure that here at 5 now we will not have sacrificed the beauty of water and, 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 and sort of natural environment and the interest of a very rapid growth. So that's why I'm really focusing on sustainable growth. That's why I will always push for quality over quantity. Very strict in terms of standards, we are actually looking at our um, uh, local uh, and regional sort of planning legislation across the country to make sure that we know exactly what we can build and where we can build it. There are parts of which which are average situation, but, and if we have to place restrictions to uh, in order to, to protect, especially islands, which are, uh, which are more sensitive. Well, it's a really a reminder, isn't it? Because our sensitive markets aren't, and you've got the trade. We did see some pressure on the UN, we did see some pressure on the That is now.
All right, guys, we're not going to uh, keep you that much longer, to be honest. Um, services growth is the 20 billion in payments coming from Google's uh, to Apple in terms of being the default. That is a big chunk of that and if something happens to that, clearly that services line isn't going to grow. The biggest upside catalyst could be just the upgrade cycle. We know every large tech company is focusing on Gen AI. They're focusing more on the Gen AI compute when they look at Amazon, Microsoft and Google. Apple can have Gen AI on their chips within the devices. That could drive a big refresh cycle across their product lineup and also the Vision Pro. Don't take that out. That's coming in 2024 and that could be huge in terms of the new category. 
Mandy, now that we have all, all of these tech earnings in the bag, is there any clear leader when it comes to some of the AI progress? Is there anyone with such a, a head start lead here that it seems it could be sustainable? I mean, right now it's clearly Microsoft because they have quantified that Gen AI kill and they said it's going to be 3% points of growth on the Azure side. And we know, you know, right now Gen AI investments are being made for training these large language models. That's why you need the GPU compute. Microsoft has uh, clearly in that front. But, uh, you know, uh, when you look at Google and Amazon, both of them are well positioned on the cloud side. It's just Microsoft has a double tailwind, if I can use that term, from uh, compute as well as co-pilot launches. They just launched their 365 co-pilot, so that's going to add to more incremental revenue. We caught up uh, last week when I was on surveillance. We talked a little bit about margin. Is the margin blockbuster in this? If our gym this morning go, who's going to hold the margins the best? Who do you think that is at the end of this reporting season? Well, so uh, I think Apple clearly is showing they can deliver on the margin front. They had the highest gross margin in a quarter where revenue was flat, and that was partially due to the fact that they can pass on the price increases on everything that they sell, whether it's uh, the product side, the hardware, as well as the services. They raise uh, prices for all the services. Okay, and uh, as you say, they're in control of that supply system. So uh, let's see whether they can continue to squeeze the margin. There you go. Apple is a bit lighter on its feet this morning, down three and a third percent. Plenty of seen our resident Bloomberg intelligence. We gave you a quick snapshot of the bond market. It was the UK market that dropped by 18 basis points yesterday. Bailey pushed back on the narrative that he's going to cut rates next year. You've just seen a little bit of reprieve that's taking up the volumes this morning. And US Treasury is also trading a little bit higher. We just have BlackRock with us in. Do not be convinced that this monster drop in yield is something that is going to continue and endure. You may have some flashbacks. The spread between Germany and Italy also compresses at uh, so slightly to 180 basis points. That spread is the one to watch. Good morning from New York and London on the Brief. MasterCard introduced PayPass, its first contactless payment system in 2002, but the technology took some time to gain traction. I would say we first invested in this many, 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 many years ago. The adoption rate of this in the early part, uh, even in markets like the UK, Canada, Australia, was very slow in the early part. The inflection point of when it really started to hit its stride was when it was using the transit world. So what we figured is, let's get all the transit systems on the globe enabled for contactless technology that will create muscle memory for the consumer who would like the experience in transit and will use it elsewhere. How do you judge the revenue proposition for MasterCard with an innovation like that and the adoption and pace of it? Look, I mean, for us, we're agnostic as to whether somebody's using the chip technology or the contactless technology or, you know, using the max right, which is the old way of doing this. We own the revenue which are quite similar across both of those. The revenue potential and upside for us comes from the fact that now more spend is being done on card-based forms of payment than has been done in the past. So we're converting the cash for the electronic forms of payment, which is where the incremental revenue comes from. If contactless payments is the current revolution sweeping the payments industry, what's the next one? I think payment is smile. So, biometrics. <laughs> Sleep is crucially important, and I think we've moved from 
this attitude from it's an indulgence, a waste of time, almost an illness that needs a cure. For something as universally important to human life as sleep, mysteries surrounding its necessity and utility have only just been recently uncovered. Some of our biggest discoveries were in the 1970s or 1980s, and so it makes it a really exciting field, because it seems as though we're uncovering new insights each and every day. Some scientists are going further to find out how sleep and what happens there can be harnessed to further expand our understanding. It's easy to memorize sleep that makes you smart if you can spit back a lot of facts. But if you want to be wise, if you really want wisdom, you've got to know when and how and why to use that information. And that's when you bring things out while you're sleeping. Right. <laughs> 
Because it does not breathe. So we As the world's fastest growing internet region, ASEAN's digital economy will surge to 1 trillion dollars by 2030. We are very excited about the opportunity to develop market-first innovations like TrustBank, Singapore's leading digital bank, and Nexus, a banking as a service solution. We supported Project Guardian and Monetary Authority of Singapore, advancing the adoption of digital assets, and co-founded SG Trades, creating a platform for digitizing trade firms. All right, guys, let's let's wrap it up. We just kind of just kept the room going. Um, I see a few of you have sort of come in and out in the, in the meantime, so that's absolutely fine. Um, you can see the suggestion that the, the dollar is continuing to weaken. Your dollar is pushing higher. Let me turn this off. Okay, so um, you can see the potential for... Um, some upside in the euro dollar, potentially further upside in the pound dollar, and the downside moving the dollar yen. So some dollar weakness for now. Um, nothing really to work with as far as the equities are concerned. We're, we're in a bit of a holding pattern. It looks like going into FOMC, which is what we would probably expect. And just broadly, just a few question marks in places. Now, the beauty is we're going to keep an eye on these trades, but we've really rallied into pretty strong resistance. So let's see if we get opportunities to start selling these later on today. This is what we've been waiting for all week. Um, and of course, the higher these markets move, the the, the, the better our potential entry is to the downside. So, um, so keep all that in mind. What goes up generally does correct to some degree, but we're, we're questioning the the kind of the validity of actually these markets rallying now off the back of what the Fed and, and the ECB and, and the BOE have not said. So that seems to be a precarious position. We've seen it already this year. Currently, we're in risk on. We're looking to trade the risk off trade. We just got to be wait and be patient. So look, on that note, guys, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, take care. And we'll um, back again at 12.45. For what should be quite an interesting, we'll have just had, we might start broadcasting a little bit earlier um, with this non-farm payroll number. So we've got some, uh, some for these US trading sessions. So look, we'll see you this afternoon, guys, and we'll see if we've got any decisions to make. Hopefully we will. Great stuff. On that note, take care. We'll speak to you soon. Thanks so much, guys. Bye for now.